0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shure Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here
1: they go.
2: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of Clap Your Hands. I am Elliot Shore Parks with Kyle Newbeck. We got a lot of news to get into today. Tyrese Maxi update, uh, potentially Kyle was down there. He'll give you guys the latest on that. Joel Embiid, quote that, you know, I think we might disagree with a little bit on what he thought about it, but I'm excited to hear what Kyle has to say about it. And then December 15th, so there are more players that are eligible to be traded today. So, New episode of Clap Your Hands, as we always say off the top. Thank you guys so much for everyone that's been listening. Really appreciate it. Make sure you download the Odyssey app and subscribe to the pod on all your podcast platforms. You get the episodes first that way. Hit that auto-download button. It comes in right away. We got a new five-star review with a question that I want to get into. It'll bring up a uh, a Brett Brown trade I think people still are pretty heated about. I'm sure you know where this is going. but um yeah so a lot to get into today Kyle what's up man how you doing
3: I didn't think I would hear Brett Brown's name on this podcast (laughs) so that was uh that was a shocker um yes I'm doing well I mean this weather in Philly sucks right now and I was saying to uh James our producer before the podcast that I am just sick of uh cold weather in general that Mm -hmm. one day I need to get a job covering the Lakers so I can get the heck out of here but uh I mean, I love this city and I love all the people here, but the weather in the wintertime is just
2: Well, not here's for what me. I would say to that. I think in general, wearing winter clothes is better than summer clothes. Like bottom line, shorts, I, I'm not, I'm I'm not a shorts guy. I don't know if it's because it just doesn't look good on me. I feel like the winter time, you got a beanie on right now, the beanie looks good. I think the winter wardrobe is far better than the summer wardrobe.
3: Sure. Well, uh, we'll, it's still not worth the, uh, it's not worth me walking out of the arena at midnight or one o'clock and then having to sit in my car for two minutes while it warms up. That's just a miserable experience. Shoveling snow off of your car. Yes, It's just like all these little things that add up that I just, I was was born to be, and I'm like, my uh, heritage is German and Irish and those are not the nicest places in the world either, <laughs> but I feel like I'm, I'm like a a, a Spaniard at heart, or someone yes. that just live off of the Mediterranean,
2: with the sea breeze and the. Well, here's the thing, Kyle. I'm getting ready to go to Chicago tomorrow for Eagles Bears. So in Good terms luck. of weather, yes, I am not super looking forward to that. It's going to feel like 12 degrees during the game. Now I'm in the press box, so it's not as bad, but. Yeah, I agree. Overall, I've always lived on the East Coast, so I've never actually lived in a warm weather place. But I always think about this with free agency, especially in the I mean, I guess all sports, but NBA, NFL. If I'm a free agent, it's such an advantage if you play in a warm weather. My friends always make fun of me because yeah. I say if, I'm, if I was a player, I would just go play for the Miami Heat. It wouldn't even be a question. I just it's such an advantage. And as much as I love Philly and, you know, you, as you said, the fans here, the sports culture is awesome it'd be a tough sell you know if you're getting paid the same amount in Florida where it's way warmer as opposed to having to commit to coming to the East Coast with all this snow
3: yeah we won't go too far down this path but I was in Barcelona last year I got mm-hmm. off the plane and you're in the city and there's palm trees and an ocean mm-hmm. breeze or Mediterranean it's come the breeze coming off the Mediterranean it's like 75 degrees in August and I was just thinking to myself man all those times where I was like, why didn't this guy just stay at Liverpool or United or <laughs> yes. wherever in England? And then you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, I definitely get why these guys went to Spain.
2: Yeah, just, uh, I, I just I never get why people sign with the Packers, you know, or, or a team like that or the Minnesota Vikings. It they're just, built
3: different than I am. Clearly. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so. I, I am not the toughest individual when it comes to weather, but lots to get into today. Um, I think originally I wrote the uh, rundown for today. I was not going to lead with this, but Kyle... You were down at practice today and there was an update on Tyrese Maxey. I've only seen tweets about it and it seems like it's not very good. But uh, what's the latest on Tyrese and what's your kind of takeaway on what Doc had to say
3: today? So it seems like Tyrese has not made the progress maybe we were expecting a week or two ago. I actually, mm-hmm. there's a, I put together a timeline of events. So November 19th is when we found out Uh, that Tyrese was going to miss time at the time the the team said reevaluated in two weeks. The behind the scenes reporting said, you know, three to four weeks Mm because small fracture in his foot. So I actually thought that was optimistic, at least based on my experience of foot injuries at the time, but yeah, Yeah. you take people at their word. Uh, December 7th, we were told by Doc Rivers that Tyrese had started shooting and was in the gym as of December 5th. He's doing a bit of running, but not really sprinting, and not running in a way that's like I'm playing basketball. It's Just kind of yeah. getting up and down and moving around. Running uh, earlier than you run, probably more yeah. a, a regular in a pickup game. Yeah, yeah. At <laughs> this point in my life, <laughs> yeah. So December thirteenth, which we're recording this on the fifteenth, December thirteenth, Doc said before the Kings game, he was hoping to get Tyrese in a practice end of this week but that felt optimistic to him at the time. That was not where he was trending. And then today we show up and Doc essentially says, you know, that he doesn't think he's anywhere close to ready, that he's not Mm -hmm. able to get on the floor at practice. He's still only really able to do most of the things he had told us about on December 7th. So that's just running, but not necessarily sprinting. He said that Tyrese cannot do a lot of, cutting or sudden movements or stopping which those are all very important things on a basketball court yeah um so he said obviously as he always likes to say he is not a doctor but based on where he's at and what he's been able to do he doesn't think he's gonna be back until maybe two weeks from now Mm -hmm. now whether it keeps going longer than that or there's a nice surprise in the meantime you don't know these injury recovery timelines are always fluid so it could be you know, a few days from now, Tyrese gets a couple of good workouts in, in a row, gets cleared for practice, whatever. Uh, I think the big headline is ultimately like they need to be cautious with him. The worst thing they could do is bring him back too soon because, you know, if he has to sit out six weeks, two months, whatever it is from the initial injury, that's obviously terrible. But if you bring him back too soon and then you cause another injury because of that, either you reaggravate the one that he already has yeah. or because of how the lower body works, you're putting too much pressure on the other foot and then your, your chain of motion gets all out of sync. Like I'm not a kinesiologist or anything, but I right. know that once you start to favor something, that's a lot of times when there are more catastrophic injuries elsewhere. And so what you want is for him to really build that base up strong come back when he's 100% ready, and then he's full go for the rest of the year. And that's what I think is the approach here. And I think that's the, the smart and
2: cautious approach is the best one here. Now, do you think this is a setback or do you think the initial timeline was probably optimistic? Because I think the initial reaction to hearing this was, wow, he's going to be out what, m- way longer than expected. And I think also from the way Doc talked about it, you mentioned he said out before the Kings game, maybe he'll practice at the end of the week. And all of a sudden it's only been a few days and it seems like a, a very different diagnosis or a very different timeline. Um, I agree they can't rush him back as tempting as it is because. I know they're playing well. They won three in a row. We'll, we'll get into to why they're playing well and, and the three wins really matter. But they're not running away with the one seed. We talked about this on the last pod. This team has had a bit of a luxury the last few years, where you're so far ahead or or at least so clearly in that top three that you can rest guys and Joel can take days off and not play backs to backs. They're in a bit of a different situation than normal because they didn't get off to a good start, where they're a little more in the pack. So, do you think this was a setback from Tyrese or just an initial? overly optimistic.
3: I don't, I have not heard anything yet to suggest there was a setback. That's something that, you know, we might find that out over time. If that happens, I think it might just be initial optimism was a little too strong because it's a broken foot. Like even if it's a small fracture in the foot, it's still a broken foot. And doc has made this point several times over the last week. The problem with lower body injuries is that not only are you trying to have your body heal you also can't get in any sort of real cardio like you might be able to swim some but that's really it and even that like you're using your legs and Mm -hmm. that's a with a foot injury i guess it's not that bad but there are limited options to what you can do in order to get your base of conditioning there so he's got to work on his lower strength on top of all the conditioning stuff he's got to do so that's another consideration um really I I don't know when he's going to come back at this point. I I tend to hope that it's closer to within that two weeks, but we don't really know. I've dealt with foot injuries. I've obviously covered Mm -hmm. Joel Embiid had major foot injuries, and they are not something that you can ever take lightly. Like I don't think people really understand. uh, Like basketball is not a contact sport in the way football is, where it's like a car crash on every play. But playing on hardwood. 82 nights a year plus playoffs any sort of foot injury or lower extremities your knees your ankles whatever you have to take such good care of them because you are taking a beating just by simply running up and down the floor let alone you know jumping high and, and doing all the up and down stuff you have to do in a normal NBA game so that i i think you have to take foot injuries really seriously and i think this might have just been a case of you know, maybe the initial timeline was a little too optimistic.
2: The thing I've found from covering lower body injuries in, in the NFL, now they play on grass, but, but the thing I've found is in season, it is so hard to recover from a lower body injury for your exact reason you just mentioned. It's hard to get cardio in. When you come back, you favor one versus the other. And then in a season, you're just naturally pushing to get back sooner than you would in the off season. because obviously you're not playing games in the off season. So whether it's a setback, not a setback, um, overly optimistic, however we want to characterize it. My next question to you would be how concerning is this for the whole year? Because he is a young guy. So you would think that would help. Obviously when Joel went through foot injuries, he's a a center. So he's just a much larger body Tyrese mean, he probably has what 120 pounds on, on Tyrese. So it's not as much weight on the foot. But Tyrese is someone that very much depends on his speed, very much depends on getting out in the open court and running. What's your concern that even when he does come back, this might just be something that that he has to deal with the entire year? And maybe he just – it's unrealistic to think he'll get back to 100% in season with this type of foot injury. So I would hope it's not like that. It, it tends or- – this is my ignorant
3: view of things with it being a a fracture rather than some sort of uh tendon or muscle injury, it should just be once it's healed and it's fully back in place and all that, that should just be it. Like, yes, he's going to have to do all this work to build his conditioning and cardio and all that, but it shouldn't be too much of a risk Mm -hmm. as long as they treat it correctly and are, you know, as cautious as we've said, they should probably be with it. I think it should be fine, but also you never know. Like this is a kid who on top of being like a high minute guy for them has always been a a really, really hard worker. So there's never been a point where you have to question his conditioning and all that. And so we've never really seen a version of Tyrese Maxey that is not in like best possible career, best shape. Right. Him all the time because he plays so much. So there is going to be that initial, you know, you have to work through that. You're going to have to get, Game reps and maybe be on a lower minute count coming back. Uh, to, to your point, though, there is the, the good news is he's a smaller guard. And so it's not the same process as it is for, you know, 280, 300 pound Joel Embiid who has to worry about uh, carrying all that weight around. And the conditioning process is a little more complicated. Honestly, the real concern I have looking forward is that James Harden is mm-hmm. currently leading the NBA. In minutes per game. Now, he hasn't played a ton of games because he was himself out for a month, but that's almost reason for more concern, right? Like yeah. he came back and immediately we're told he has a minutes restriction and he's playing like 40 minute games. Yeah, multiple 38 in minutes, in a row. I
2: think it was, versus Houston.
3: Yeah. And now some of that's they played overtime and double overtime against Houston and that's out of their control. They certainly don't go into a game thinking, hey, we're playing overtime tonight, but they're still pushing him basically to his limit, and he was asked how his foot feels before or after the either the Hornets or the Kings game, and because of the minutes count, and he just said, "Well, I'm out on the floor essentially, yeah. and so that's good enough." That's not what you want to hear. You want him to be like the whole theme of the offseason was James has this time to get his body right. He had the hamstring injury that held him back for about a year. He finally had all offseason to get his body right, get his mind right, get his game right. And now to go through this month-long injury and come back, and he's telling you, you know, I feel good enough to be on the floor, but it's not like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm ready. And that, to his credit, other than that Houston game and some parts of the Lakers game, I think he's looked really good. He's obviously – and we'll get into it. He's made a big impact on their offense. But the more you tax him in December to get these wins to pull out of that muck they're in, the the more you're taking away from the end of the year. Like this is not 26 year old, 27 year old James Harden who can just play, 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 run, run, run all year. And so they have to find a balance of they need to trust those bench guys. They have to lean on Shake Milton and De'Anthony Melton and you know even guys who you don't necessarily want to play like on corkmaz, just so that you're not playing James 38, 40 minutes a night just to get a win in early December or mid-December, I guess, at this point.
2: Well, and the other tough part about that too, I just, from the, my short time watching James here, and I think at his age, this is why this happens. I mean, you think about when they traded for him last year, his first four or five games were unreal, right? Minnesota, the Knicks, he, he looked phenomenal in those games. And then um, this year, comes out, kills it at the beginning of the year. I think what you're seeing with him is because of his age and because of, to your point, how much he's playing, when he's able to play fresh, he still is a good player. And his numbers look outstanding. I mean, you could argue when he's playing at his best, he might still be a top. I mean, 10 is strong, but I don't know, 15, wherever you want to put him. He's not the wash James Harden. But where, where he runs into issues is after those first four or five games, you see his play slowly decrease you saw it last year again after the the beginning uh when they first got him his play his play went down as the season went on beginning of the year comes out looks awesome slowly goes down he's injured so i don't think it's a coincidence that at the beginning of coming back from this injury he's played a lot better to your point he should not be leading the league in minutes and especially on a team where had we recorded been doing this at the beginning of the season. I would have said this is one of the deepest teams they've had in a while. Like the perception yeah. of this team was they have the depth and they're deeper than last year. Now, I know they don't play the same positions, but a lot of guys have not panned out. Daniel House has not been as good uh, as expected. I mean, Ferk is what he is. And then Tyrese obviously getting hurt is a big part of this. So what would you do if you're them? Because on one hand, I see your point. He cannot be playing the most minutes in the league. That That is not something he can continue doing. But they're not running away with the one seed. One thing you've talked about that I think is true is they do need reps together. I, what's the answer? I mean, to your point, I guess, play shake a little more lean on Firk, even if it doesn't work out. I, 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 especially when you're doc and you are on the hot seat to a certain extent. I mean, is that, is that the result of this? Is that why he's playing them so much?
3: It's some of it, but honestly, like, and we didn't even bring him up yet. I feel like we've been talking about him a lot recently. De'Anthony Melton also dealing with an on and off back issue that, you know, he missed the game the other night. And so even when he's available, you know, in theory, he's one of your best players. You want him on the court a lot. And he's someone that he's not James Harden, certainly, but he can take some of those secondary uh, playmaking reps. And you play him with Shake Milton. And obviously they found success when all these guys were out. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to overtax him either, right? Like a back injury in a lot of ways is even more serious than these like foot injuries where back injury flares up and there's often just nothing you can do about it, especially in the middle of the season. Like I, we've heard nothing except to say he's dealing with tightness. Now what that exactly means and the severity of the pain he deals with day to day, I don't know, but you don't want to, you know, put that on him. then, you know, all of a sudden De'Anthony Melton's playing 30 whatever minutes a night and he's basically a questionable guy to play in the lineup any given night. So, yeah, I think a lot of it's going to come down to Shake Milton and like at the start of the year I was really down on him. I think good. he I think he's been very good and yeah. he the problem for him has never been that he didn't have the skill or the talent to be a regular contributor. He always got hurt whenever he was in a good run of form. And mm-hmm. so that is certainly a concern, you know, looking ahead. Maybe he's not the most durable player, and maybe playing him a lot exposes him to some of that risk. But like you can't protect him too, you can't protect everybody. And so I think Shake is going to have to step up into more of a, and he really has been in this role already. He's going to have to play this more traditional sixth man role, sort of anchor those bench units. I think he's done a really good job of finding that middle ground between playing off of people like Harden and Embiid and also when it's these bench heavy groups taking the reins and you know leading by himself so that's been a huge development i think that has allowed them to get through this stretch but you know ultimately he's probably going to come back down to earth at some point and so you're in you're just in a really tough spot here like having one of your best players and high minute guys hurt and another one being older and someone who needed to protect like it's there are so many variables to weigh. And then the doc stuff on top of all of that, we were talking a little bit before the podcast. Like, I don't think he has felt real pressure from the organization. I've told you that I think everybody has been in the boat together. Mm-hmm. But he hears what people say. Like, he's, he's well aware that he gets blamed for pretty much everything, that the fan base is not happy with him. He gets booed before games from time to time, that everyone is... Out for blood with him, yes, and so he's going to make moves in a lot of cases that are self preservation moves, and like, that's not a criticism. That's you know, if you and I were in career jeopardy, yeah, if we course. had to do oh, a yeah. certain thing to save our jobs, we would do it. Like, that's what that's what you do, unless you want to be you know, unemployed, and especially no. in this business where there's always somebody else ready to step up, and you know, and same thing with Doc, there's always another coach waiting to step up and
2: take that job. So he's going to do what he needs to do to keep his team on pace. Well, and it just speaks to how important in all walk of life, but especially sports, job security is. I remember yes. early on in Sam Hinkie's tenure, they were able to play all these young guys and they were able to do what they did because he had rock solid job security. And I think Doc has had that mostly. And it sounds from talking to you that he does still have that. But there is a human element to this. There's absolutely no question about it. If you're Doc and you're getting booed before the game and, and not even just that. the standings. again, I, I keep bringing it up, but this is I know they're fifth in the east right now, but they're not the team that looks like the favorite. They're nobody's discussing them as a legitimate title contender on the national shows. It's Boston, it's Milwaukee, it's teams in the West. So I'm sure that Doc does feel that pressure, you know w- without question. I don't I don't see how he can't. But the, what I hear when I hear you talk about how they have to manage these minutes, I'm sure if you listen to the team podcast, of course, on the Odyssey app, if you listen to the team podcast on all the different teams, everyone's dealing with it. We're going to talk about the Warriors coming up. Steph Curry looks like he's going to be out for a few weeks. I mean, you know, Middleton has missed time. There have been players on all teams that have missed times. My fear is you go into the season knowing Joel is going to be something you have to manage. You know, you're going to have to do it with Harden. And that's, already concerning enough because those are the guys you need the most but when you're also having to do it with maxi who shouldn't be having to deal with that it starts to feel like the ability to get to the finish line healthy is going to be so extremely hard like forget playing at a high level forget getting those reps together just getting all these guys to the playoffs and in the second round i mean ideally this is a team that you want in the first round to have a matchup where they're heavily favored now the standings might not end up allowing that but that's what they've had the last few years. Where this this whole season is going to come down to is the second round of the playoffs. That's their Super Bowl. That is the moment where they need to be at their best. And it's scary to think that it's December 15th and we're already talking about, all right, well, Joel, you know, now he's been awesome recently, but he had his problem. Harden's dealing with his thing. Maxie's dealing with him, his thing. It just feels it's going to be difficult to get to the finish line healthy.
3: Well, and here's one more thing that has been a theme we've talked about a lot that they can do to to quote-unquote protect Harden and Embiid and Tyrese Mm -hmm. and everybody else. Play hard and play well and put these games away early. Like The easiest way, and Doc Doc has called this old-school load management. The easiest way to get your stars rest is for your stars to show up, and Joel has done this recently. James has done this recently. Your stars show up, they kick the opponent's ass for the first 24 Mm -hmm. to 36 minutes, you hand it over to the bench for the final quarter or most of the final quarter, and those guys sit there waving towels and smiling and joking and all that. And I think they deserve some credit for, you know, that Charlotte game was closer for a little bit in the second half, but it was never really in jeopardy. The Kings game was certainly never in jeopardy, and those are great examples of Joel Embiid going out, taking a game and saying, we're winning this. I'm going to play hard until I don't need to play anymore. And then I'm exiting stage right and it's up to you guys to play the final, you know, six, eight, ten minutes, whatever it is. And yeah. that's that the, they need that killer instinct as a group. And they have shown it against bad teams. And, you know, it's easy to dismiss. Like, I'm not throwing a victory parade for the Sixers beating the Hornets and the Kings. Kings mm-hmm. who are better this year. Yeah, take I mean, the- what are they, fifth in the West? I mean... Yeah, they're, they're not- like a, mid, a mid-conference a yeah. mid team in the West. So I don't want to dismiss that as like a, you're beating the Kings of old. But I also think we should say beating bad teams and beating up on bad teams or mediocre teams is what you have to do yeah. to be a contender. Like... The games against contenders in the regular season in many cases are toss-ups. It's who's healthy, who's had the better schedule, who's had this. When you have clear talent advantages against teams, you need to exploit those. And so I think the Sixers, at least recently, other than that Rockets game, have done a good job of that. They need to keep doing that. They're 3-0 to open this homestand. That's the sort of urgency that they have to play with. Because if they don't play with that – and they screw around, and they end up in these games where having to – like set aside the loss. The fact that they had to go to double overtime with the Rockets is bad. The fact that after most of that game against the Lakers, I thought was pretty good to not put that game away, and even though you kill them in overtime, have to play those five extra minutes, that extra wear and tear, you don't want that stuff. And so they have to put their foot down. They have to execute. They have to make sure – know whether it's fatigue whether it's checking out a little bit all that stuff has to be pushed to the side and this team has to take care of business like it's really that simple to me
2: yeah and they have been they're three and on the home stands we mentioned before seven straight at home and then the Knicks and the Wizards this is a real chance to get the season going and it kind of feels like they are to an extent Joel's been awesome Harden has looked way better 21 points 15 assists in the last game so three and oh getting off to that but as is always the case with this team, it feels like there's always off the court drama, and we—I don't know if you would call this <laughs> drama—but it's time to get into the Joel quotes. So, uh, Jake Fisher. Uh, first of all, I'm knowing Jake. Very happy to see him doing the things he does. He does a phenomenal job. Uh, yeah, Jake Fisher. Team. Yeah, very good dude. Philly guy too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so South Jake, Jersey, but you know, that's okay, close so enough. not Philly at all. <laughs> never mind. I can, I completely uh, I, listen. I don't want coming. to
3: insult any South Jersey listeners because I know yes. they're basically. Uh, philly east is what it feels like well i
2: worked for nj.com for a while too so maybe i shouldn't even be discussing you know saying anything disparaging about south jersey but jake fisher of yahoo sports uh talked to joel seemed like it was at his locker got a bit of a a one-on-one it seems like so he's talking to him and he says essentially you know i'll I'll read joel's quote um he says jake says to the segment what would you say to the segment of philadelphia fans that has found cause for panic that's pounding their timeline to remove rivers and wants to declare that the trade that landon harden is already a failure and so Joel says and i quote i don't know Embiid said shrugging sixers fans they want to trade me um and then i guess he doubles down on it jake goes you don't believe that and he goes i do believe that they do want to trade me um what is your takeaway from that because to me so my initial read on it when i first saw it was This is Joel setting the stage to make it okay when he asks out. Because when when players ask out, and I think this will be specifically the case with Joel, the tough part is turning your back on the fans. And I think the fans have been incredibly supportive of Joel here for the most part. If you're that level of star in this big of a city, you're always going to have people that doubt you. And if you want to look for those people, you will find those people. But ultimately, since Joel has become a Sixer, I think he's received overwhelming support considering the playoff failures, the injury time miss, and he's earned it. He's a great player. Uh his personality early on I thought really added to what he was as a superstar. Um but I just I think that when he asks out, if it does eventually happen, he's laying the seeds of, well they 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 wanted to trade me anyway. You know, that they they didn't even want me here. It's like an easy excuse to make when he eventually asks out. So that was my initial read on it. Um I mean, what, what what do you think of, of my conspiracy theory? I,
3: I don't take him seriously like 50% of the time. And I can actually, reading the quote and the way Jake wrote about it, uh-huh. I can hear his, like, I can hear Joel's voice and the, the type of conversation that that is. And he's just like trolling, essentially. Like, so a lot of times we have not like long conversations, but Joel, myself, and a couple of members of the media who right. know him better maybe, where we'll talk about, you know, different games or something he said that was a little outlandish, and he's just got this big shit-eating grin on his face. Like, he just likes to tweak people in that way. And when trades have come up in the past, not necessarily about him, because it's not like he's been in any kind of trade rumors other than when he was flirting with Jimmy Butler on Instagram that one year. Um, He has always made snide comments like, well, listen. If somebody offered, if the Warriors offered Steph Curry for me tomorrow, they could trade me. And it's like, number one, Joe, you know that the Warriors are not trading Steph Curry, and you know, <laughs> the Sixers are not trading you. So he, like, he loves to play up the drama. Some he's just kind of a, as the kids like to say, he's just a messy person in yeah. that way. He likes to stir shit up, and you know all that. Um, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that. I know for sure Joel is going to be here forever, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody who covers a team, the star will say all the right things about, you know, I, I want to spend my whole career here if I can, blah, 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 I love the fans and they're the best.
2: Yeah. And I and want to bring another home team pays more. And then that's that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, in this case, like nobody's going to be able to pay more. It's more right. about does Joel reach a limit with this organization where You know, it could be honestly similar if it ever were to get there. I think Harden is honestly a good blueprint for that, right? Like he gave an earnest effort with a bunch of different versions of the Rockets. Now, we can obviously criticize him for his failures in the playoffs and in big moments and so on and so forth. But, you know, he played with Dwight Howard, really tough guy to deal with on multiple fronts at Mm -hmm. the time he was there. Chris Paul, who there was a clashing of personalities there, despite the fact that they were really, really good together. Russell Westbrook, and then they downsized to the play with Robert Covington at center, and they went through all these versions of the team. And James, as Daryl was on the way out, is like, you know, I'm good here. I don't. I, I've I've tried everything I can. It's time to try to win somewhere else. And you know, the way he went about it, maybe not the best, but I, I think ultimately. It
2: was believable. Like that's someone who gave a. Yeah, ton, he didn't. Not he just... didn't jump at the first sign of trouble in Houston.
3: Right. Like, and he had a lot of say in what they did and how the roster shifted and all that. Probably to much more of an extent than Joel has for most of his tenure in Philly. But I think the important thing is, you know, he tried to see it through. He saw a bunch of different versions of the team. None of them worked. And he ultimately said, you know, maybe I can make this work somewhere else. Maybe I can explore different Mm -hmm. opportunities and i think if joel is going to leave it'll be because of that i don't think he's like on a whim wakes up one day and like screw this place i don't like these people they want to trade me whatever i think it's going to be i've tried everything i can and if he cares about his legacy and cares about trying to win a title or whatever that that's the most important to him and he has said that a lot over the last couple years like the mvp races and all this other stuff is great but winning is ultimately what matters then maybe he gets there but you know right now i don't i don't think that comment specifically is about that i think that's just joel kind of messing oh. with people as he always does
1: i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me
2: So, my issues with it are one, not to be the whole Philly's reputation outside the city, blah, blah, whatever. But I do think it's a little unfair of him to, in a quote that he knows is going to get picked up, he knows when he says that. I've been, I've not been around Joel's nearly as much as you have, but the times I have been, he's clearly a very smart guy when you're around him. He's, he's a very intelligent guy. He's very immediate. He's guy. a
3: little too smart, honestly, like yeah, too smart for his own good.
2: <laughs> that, that's my thing where he knows how this is going to get picked up. He knows when he says it, even the fact that Jake writes, he's smiling when he says it, he's well aware that this is what is the main part of the article that's going to get picked up. And he knows the perception of Philly fans, right? So I'm a little annoyed that he would do the whole, well, you know, Philly fans, they want me traded. Because I think it's unfair to all the Sixers fans that have stuck by him through a lot of stuff. Again, the injury stuff, the second round exits, which are not all his fault. But the bottom line is, if you've been a Sixers fan during Joel's time here, there's been more disappointment than exciting times. There's been awesome Joel games. There's the game winner against the Raptors, you know, all-star games, almost MVPs, tons of good stuff. Bottom line is, if you're a fan of the Celtics with Tatum, you've been to the finals. If you're a fan of even the Hawks, you have a better run in the playoffs than you have with Joel. So sometimes I think early on in his career, he could get away with this stuff. The funny tweets, the trolling, playing into different things. Now I think he's reached a point where he's not in his third or fourth year. And I love his personality to an extent with that stuff. But I do think he gets a little annoying when you're not winning. You're not meeting the expectations that the city has for you. Fair not, because it's not all his fault that they lose. But bottom line is he's had bad playoff performances too. And then he does this whole thing like, well, they definitely want to trade me. It just feels that at this point, maybe the trolling, the the funny, all those things, maybe it's time to win before you get to that. And I hate to say that because I love when players show personality, but it's, I used to love when Joel did it. And now when I hear him do it, there's just a part of me that's like, come on, man. Oh, oh funny tweet. Ha, ha! whatever. But, but he's—he if you're going to come up small in the playoffs, you're not going to win. You have to then adjust also, too. So that's why this trade thing annoyed me, because he knows people don't want to trade him. He's looking for people. If he thinks the Philly fan base actually wants to trade him, he's looking at the vocal minority. And I think it paints Philly fans in a bad light when they've supported him through a lot.
3: Yeah, I think you're just becoming an angry old man. This, I, I mean, it's, it's clear, like it's
2: I, I, it I, I, but you see him like early on in your career. All right, fine, it's funny. There is part of me that's like, are you in your tenth year or whatever it is? Eighth year, maybe eighth or ninth year that he's been I think here. It might and be and it,
3: seven. Yeah, well,
2: two years he didn't play early on, so that didn't yeah, really. Seven count.
3: years actually playing because there's yes. 20 or 2016, 17.
2: Yes. So the first two years he didn't play because of his yeah. foot, and I think he's played seven years. I just. I was thinking about this and I'm gonna butcher the quote. I don't know if you're a a Marvel or the Marvel Batman movies or whatever. What's the yeah, quote?
3: I've checked out of that some recently because there's just too much of it now. But yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not anti for sure. I think
2: I think Joel to me, in my own old man, I guess, personality, what's the quote? It's uh die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I, I think that oh, now he's be, the
3: villain. No, no they, me not, not, the, the,
2: not that he's the villain, but to me, that's what it feels like. He's we we've seen the Joel experience. And stuff like this just annoys me, man. It like I feel like nobody throws a pity party for themselves like Joel. And then there's the other quote where it's well, I have to be the best offensive player and the best defensive player, and I have to carry the team. And I have, yeah, man, that's why you're a max player. That's why you get all the money. That's why you want to be MVP. Your job is to do all those things night in and night out. And Sixers fans have stuck by you through all this. And then so to say that they want you traded, it just, so now everyone comes out and everyone's like, well, of course we don't want to trade Joel. Joel, you're awesome. Like, okay, you got the pity party you wanted. No one wants you traded. But at the end of the day, the expectations are high for him because he's a max guy and he's shown all that talent. And I think sometimes he doesn't want all the responsibility that comes with where he's at in his career. And so he jokes about it too much, which is fine. But I just, I think it's annoying compared to in the in the beginning of his career.
3: Well, I would say we sort of agree on in the sense that the not embracing the responsibility as much as he should for the position that he's in is true at least on the court. I do think he has scaled back his Twitter usage considerably mm-hmm. like you don't get a lot of the stupid now he still will mess around on Instagram whatever but it's not he just doesn't really waste the energy and time on that stuff the way he used to. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, if if we were to go to his Twitter feed right now, for example, I think it's like predominantly crypto ads that he's like <laughs> yeah. getting, he's doing like sponsored posts for Thank you, uh, the exchange that uh, <laughs> sponsors the team. So, you know, I, I think people are getting, and including yourself, are getting too worked up about this. All your points are well taken about, you know, is he being a little trolly and is that annoying because of the the broader career context that he's yes. in i get all that but i think in this case it's very much like a throwaway joel laughing like if we're in the room and he says that and he's got this big goofy smile on his face and you hear him in his voice say that rather than it being in print it just plays so much differently it's the same thing like you watch a tv or radio interview versus print and there's a lot yeah. of things that can get lost in that translation to print and so i'm trying to like neither you or i and nobody else aside from jake and Joel are in that room and so i'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here if he ends up not deserving that then we can circle back eventually but i i have been around Joel enough that my read on it is
2: that this is just him kind of being a, now he did double down on it for what it's worth. Jake did say, Come on, you don't believe that. And then he says it again. But I see, but I agree with you overall, I would say that this is him just joking around. It just, it annoys me more than it used to. I have to be <laughs> honest. Even last year when, you know, he cranky posted, old
3: man Elliot. Yeah, cranky old man. Down Elliot. The exactly.
2: I'm not, I'm not the young uh, guy I used to be. But even last year when he posted the picture, when I uh, remember they, I forget what it was with Ben. He Oh, they they traded Ben and then he put Oh, him. the rest so, in Peace
3: Bozo picture. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like so that was funny as hell. Sorry. I I'm, I'm not going to take your side on that it, one. No, no, that no. was hilarious.
2: It, it was funny, but then it's like, ha, you got bounced in the second round. I don't know. I just Yeah, but
3: Brooklyn suffered like literally the most humiliating loss in playoff yes. history. They they play. intentionally tried to play the Celtics or no, I I shouldn't say that. The Celtics, while everybody else is throwing games and jostling for position right in the playoffs the Celtics are like we're just going to win and we'll play whoever including Brooklyn and they beat the shit out of Brooklyn to the point that there are people accusing Ben of like leaving group chats yes that like that's Ben somehow was part of two of the most embarrassing playoff losses in back-to-back years one of which he starred in one of which he didn't even play in Boston, Mm -hmm. like, wiped – and honestly, like, this is going to get me canceled by Uh -uh. uh, Sixers fans. That – honestly, that Celtics team beating the hell out of Brooklyn in that series, even as somebody who grew up in Philly, was so satisfying because, like, (laughs) that Celtics team is exactly, like, what you want from a sports team that either you're rooting for, you're covering, whatever. They dealt with all this drama during the start of the season. They looked dead in the water – And instead of firing people, instead of training people, instead of complaining, they have the best second half in the league because those guys buckled down and bought into an identity. They didn't run from an opponent in seeding. And Mm -hmm. then they went out there and Brooklyn, who Kyrie Irving missed half the year because he didn't get vaccinated and and was on a fucking spirit quest or whatever. (laughs) They got their asses beat because they didn't build the reps and care about Regular season basketball and like yeah. becoming a team, and so a, a team that cared about being a team and getting better beat them, and so that was great for me, and all that yeah. was great, and that's. But that's why that's also why I'm so hard on the Sixers when they're screwing around and they're treating games as if they're entitled to just be. But a don't you think because they have from all this?
2: But that that's my. Sure, thing. some of
3: it is. I think some Joel's
2: it attitude. Again. You know, even again, like, oh ha! Ah, you got Ben. Good tweet. Well, guess what? You still like, you still didn't advance any further. We spent all of the they last- did though. Brooklyn lost in round one. No, what no, are you no. Talking no. About? I'm saying, I'm saying when Ben was here, and I felt this at the time. Ben to me was the problem. He was a guard that couldn't shoot, it messed it, whatever. We we've been down that alley. But Ben got traded and you still got bounced in the second round. So there's been one person that's been here throughout the whole thing, and it's Joel. And one thing that a constant theme that comes up in our pods that we've done is, you know, they don't take games seriously often or, you know, and whatever. But to me, this comes from Joel's attitude of not that he doesn't take things serious because clearly to get where he's at, he has to work really hard. And he's overcome a ton of injuries. So he clearly is a very hard worker. I just think all this talk in the off season of, well, you'll bring in PJ and all of a sudden there'll be a tougher team. No, they're not going to be a different team until Joel is different. And that's been my frustration with him over the last you know year and a half, two years is, it just feels that they are, you are your best player and the best player in the team has been frustrating.
3: That's, and that's fine. All I'm saying is this small quote and quote and response in a story by Jake, who I love is not going to cause me to be like, well, they're doomed to fail. Like <laughs> I, I will judge the basketball product and the rest yes. of it as the more important thing. And we can revisit comments like this. If, he ever gets to the point where he's like, Yeah, I, I need to get the hell out of here.
2: Well, the thing too is, there will be that point. Realistically, you don't always play with the same team. The chances are so slim. So it will come, but it's just a, a matter of when. um All right, I'll get off of my old man soapbox for a <laughs> second and stop. And again, I love the content. I do. It just, man, there's just something. Maybe it's because I had so much hope for him. I don't know, but there's something about Joel that when he does this, just it frustrates me. I, I don't know why, but okay. So all right, grandpa,
3: let's, move I know, on. I
2: know, I know it is funny. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when I first started covering the Eagles like 10 years ago, I was, so I'm 35 now. So I was like, you know, 25, 24, whatever. I was one of the youngest people. And now I look around and I still think of myself as one of the youngest, but I'm not like, there's a bunch of younger people. So maybe I am the old man now. I guess that's just the the role that, that it I happens play. to us all. It, that's, you know, it does, unfortunately. Um, okay. So we'll move on from that. Um, Some trade stuff. So December 15th uh, is today, which means there's a bunch of new players that could be traded. I want to ask the five-star review question first. And then I went through and I found nine players that might help them, might not. To be honest, the list is not that exciting, but nine potential trades we could at least go through. And you can tell me if you think it's crazy or a good move. Um, The five-star review. And again, if you leave a five-star review with a comment, I will make sure to ask Kyle the question uh, we we're two for two so far. So, everyone that's asked him ha- has had their question asked. Um, this one comes from uh Mike Mark 15. In your guys' opinion, does trading the rights to David Roddy for D'Anthony Melton this year make up for the mistake of trading Mikel Bridges for Zaire Smith? So, I would say no, but I'm curious. I'd say you-
3: no, and I want to bring up a related point. One of the most overrated. Trade mistakes ever because people miss what the real mistake was. They could have just drafted Shea Gilgis Alexander. That's oh, yeah. a way, way, way yeah. bigger miss than not just keeping Mikhail Bridges. Like Mikhail Bridges, nice player, good piece on a really good team that went to the finals, but is like a role player. Shay gildress alexander is like a capital s star who might be one of the best guards in the league for like the next you don't gotta tell me man years you know i I was a big like so i talked to i was i ended up coming down off my position heading into that draft that year because um they they were still dealing with the markel fault stuff that was hanging over him ben was obviously a weird player to to work around as it was. And so drafting a guard who shot you were not rock solid confident Mm -hmm. in was, you know, that would have been really tough. But I remember talking to, you know, scouts that I trust and, you know, people who really covered college basketball day to day. And then watching Kentucky games myself, they had, you know, guys like Kevin Knox and, and what have you who were more highly regarded and you watched them play. And it was so clear that like, this is the dude on this team and it's insane that he his stock is so much lower than this other guy and a bunch of the other guys across the landscape and he is just he's always had this like level of different or special in him like his footwork is so unorthodox yeah. and allows him to be you know not an elite level athlete in terms of explosiveness or like vertical explosiveness but he's so shifty and so good and so smart and like that was the that's the big mistake if anything if you want to play the hindsight game that's the one like people always love to with Hinky, it's like well why didn't he draft giannis or whatever they're like that is right that's the guy so you don't yeah. say well why that's did a they little trade more
2: understandable though i mean right giannis, why yeah. why
3: did you trade Mikhail Bridges for Zaire Smith. It's no. Why didn't you dr- just draft SGA and then you don't have to worry about most of this other stuff? You probably don't trade Ben for James Harden. You trade Ben for like a wing or somebody mm-hmm. that's uh, filling out the team in between those guys. Now, obviously, we're getting yeah four and five steps removed from that. But
2: well, um, Kyle, as you know, <laughs> that's where we're at, I would trade Joel for Shade just Alexander. So you don't have to. <laughs> we're pre- not going down that. You don't right, have so. to. You don't have to. Preach to me about how good uh, Shea is. I'm well aware. I think he is a star. I think he has everything you want in a uh, in a young player. But the Zaire Smith uh, thing from afar, and we definitely don't have to get into it now. That to me, of all the weird things that have happened with the Sixers, feels like the weirdest. I feel like he just fell off the p- face of the planet. That you know, I was able to follow it for a while, and then next thing I know, he's just not on the team anymore. So. That, yeah, I don't think it makes up for it, but you're right, that missing, missing out on Shea, uh definitely hurt this team. Okay, December 15th, trade candidates. I went through the trusty uh, trade machine and I put some trades together that work on the machine. The NBA trade rules are so complicated. I spent about 15 minutes today figuring out if... Uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, of course, but Bohan Bogdanovich from the Pistons could be traded or not. Some said one website said he could not be traded because he signed an extension after training camp. Some, there's a ton of articles saying he can. So So I just signed
3: an extension. I believe he can't be traded for. I want to, it's either six months or a year. I don't remember. I'm I'm misremembering it now, but I I doubt he can be traded now. He's not on the, uh,
2: well, I believe you, and I will not go through that trade, but I'll just let you know there are tons of articles out there saying he can be traded. So there needs to be some consensus given um, here. But So I went through, and for those that don't know, December 15th is a deadline where – or not a deadline. The first day where players that were not eligible to be traded can be traded. There are a few Sixers who are eligible to be traded now. Uh, Harden, P.J. Tucker, uh, House, and Montrez are are eligible to be traded. Um, Don't think they're going to trade Harden. I don't think they would trade PJ. It's an interesting discussion on whether they would. I think it'd be smart to do if you could do it for somebody. But the tough thing about the Sixers trade situation is they just don't have a lot of movable pieces. Tobias makes 37 million, which is really hard to match up for an equal type of talent. Tucker makes 10, but he's old and not playing well. Milton makes eight, Thibel makes four, and Ferk makes five. Outside of that, it's a bunch of guys that make around $2 million. So there's not a ton of options, but... I will, I'm sure you're excited for this. I will go through and give you the trades that- uh are excited to say month. no
3: to every single one of them. <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: So if we're living in a world where Bohan uh, Bohan can't be traded, I did come up with um, him Pete, for PJ Tucker, Ferk, and Montrez. I mean, obviously, Bohan would give you a ton of shooting. He's on a $19 million deal for three years. The Pistons aren't winning anything. It seems like he's going to be traded um, if he's allowed. But PJ, Firk and Montrez, you doing it?
3: I mean, I would do it just because I like Bogdanovich. I don't love his contract. Like, I don't love that he's on an extension now. Yeah. I don't want that money. Like, here's the thing. I don't want long-term money tied up in almost anybody right now if I'm the Sixers, and that includes Tucker. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're moving PJ, a win-now type guy, like extreme win-now guy because he's as old as he is, I don't necessarily want to have somebody coming back that's got... I would rather get an expiring contract contributor. Yeah. And then you head into this summer and you say, all right, if we can move to bias and lose money there, or if you just trade them into salary space, you can get really creative with the sort of stuff you can do in free agency. If not, then you're really in the same position you're in now where you're not really functionally any different as a contender like i don't think bogdanovich changes who they are or what they can do as a team i think maybe he's a he's a better offensive player probably a worse defensive player for the purposes they need him for Mm -hmm. he's got he was at one point like a pretty credible defender of bigger wings but i don't think he's that guy anymore he's like okay so you're still in a spot where i'm I don't really trust them against. Uh, I don't trust any of their top options in that example to defend. You know the Giannis's, the Jason right. Tatum's. the so that part is still a problem. And look, I ultimately think that PJ is probably going to be fine as long as Harden is in the lineup. He's going to get wide open threes in a way that he was not. Yeah,
2: and he has um, been playing. He has been playing better since Harden got back. He had the yeah, two like he's he's made Kings. some
3: shots. He looks okay. He's still doing the. The PJ Tucker stuff that he's always yeah. done. So, so I, I still tend to lean toward, you know, keep things as they are. I don't think it'd be a bad trade because like Trez is a wash. on doing pretty much nothing. Like he, he'll give you a good shooting night every once in a while, but uh, isn't doing much. It's basically just a contract. And then PJ is, as we just discussed. So yeah. it, it's not a terrible one, but I, I wouldn't be jazzed up about it is what I would say.
2: Well, good news. He's the best player on the list, so it should get more fun from here. Oh boy! Um, all right, Buddy Hield always seems to be tied to the six. Automatically, no, I'm out. Automatically, <laughs> no. You wouldn't do Tucker, and Thibble straight up. He's I think 38% I think he's an apocalyptic.
3: He's an apocalyptically bad defender. I I, think I do not is. care, buddy.
2: He can shoot 38 on, and well, to piggyback off what you said, I agree that look defense matters I'm not gonna you know I'm not a complete idiot when it comes to that but I do wonder if they're just gonna have to focus on offense because they don't have enough good defenders anyway you know well, that I- is true and that's why I would consider something like a Bogdanovich type deal
3: but buddy healed is so bad that he changes everything and if you have like for example if you play minutes, where you have Harden, Buddy Hield and Tyrese on the floor at the same time, you are going to just get absolutely destroyed. It's just yeah. it's a lot of off-ball issues, guys dying on screens, switches where the other team just sets one screen and they have a favorable matchup and they go right at that guy and then Joel is in a position where he's coming up higher, he's having to, you know, do things that they don't want him to do. You want him back toward the rim so he can protect the rim and rebound on top of that. And if you're drawing him out because you're getting beat on the perimeter, basically every other play, right. You're going to end up giving up a lot of offensive rebounds. Buddy yield is also not especially athletic. Like he's athletic in the sense that he's young. He can get open and run younger. around screens. Yeah. yeah. He was, he wasn't young when he came in the league. Yeah. But he, yeah. I think he's he, been a few years now. Like
2: seven, he'll run eight. a lot
3: and like come off of screens and he'll do that kind of stuff. Like he's not, out of shape or anything but in terms of making recoveries on defense and making reads and playing uh, playoff level basketball i'm very skeptical and like so my belief is not that you need to have perfect defenders at every position right the problem Mm -hmm. is that they already have enough issues with the core guys mostly the backcourt that you don't want to add another one-way player into like a big-time role. And if I'm remembering correctly, Buddy's still under contract. What? Yeah, I think he has a
2: few more years. Yeah, and I don't
3: yeah. want any parts of paying him for several more years. If it, if he's on an expiring, and you're just saying, look, we're loading up, we're gonna get a gunner. And yeah, we're I think gonna it's three more years. To score, not we're gonna try to score 140 points a game or whatever. Yeah, fine. I could maybe be talked into that, but. I don't want him long-term at almost any cost.
2: All right, so here's what we'll do. I'll say the name, and you tell me if you want to hear the trade or if you just have zero interest, whatever. Sure. Jay Crowder from the Suns.
3: Yeah, that I would entertain. He's a, like, a guy who's actually been in some playoff wars.
2: Would you trade PJ for him? I think Maybe. he's an upgrade from PJ. I think he's a better Probably,
3: room. but I, I think they would probably ask for more, and I don't know. It depends on what it is. Like They don't have a lot of draft capital right now. If it was like mm-hmm. PJ and a pick, I'd probably do it. Now, I think the shooting downgrade, I, he's not the the corner shooter from my memory that PJ is. Um, he has had some good shooting moments during playoff runs. So yeah. he's certainly a guy who can get hot. Um, and he's a, a credible defender on switches and all that. So uh, I'm not anti- um, I, but I
2: don't, I don't think it's worth paying a premium to get him. Is what I would say. All right. Patty Mills, backup guard, gives him more ball handling, Uh decent three-point shooter. Any interest? Who are you giving up for I He's had, making like, what,
3: 6 million or something yeah, like so, that?
2: Yeah, so I had House and uh, Montrez.
3: Oh, I mean, the Brooklyn would probably not do that, but I would do that because, well i think i like house more than a lot of people just because he's a guy who's at least playable in the playoffs right. he's gonna I mean, be like, he was
2: only playing 12 minutes a game for what it's worth it's yeah. not like they're they're not using him a ton
3: yeah and he is like the quintessential can't defend anybody like he's just horrendous yeah. on that front but it there are worse guys to get than an instant offense guy who could maybe swing a game in the playoffs
2: all right, so the next one, a person Sixers fans are very aware of, Andre Drummond, the Bulls, upgrade backup center. Obviously, seven, seven and a half rebounds in fourteen minutes this year. So still doing what uh, what Drummond does, and it's a tough thing is finding out, figuring out who they could trade where it's of good value. I mean, Thibault, maybe the Bulls talk themselves into the upside a little bit. Young, and I'll team. tell you,
3: Mark Eversley, who's in Chicago's front office, was like a big. Pound the table, guy for Thibault. So they've they've been connected to him before. So that would not be.
2: Would you do Drummond? Would you you trade Drummond for him? I just I'm not giving up to get Drummond.
3: I'm not giving up resources for a backup center. I would say, like, regardless of who it is, I would rather just like Joel's going to play thirty eight minutes, maybe forty a night in the playoffs, and that's that's really what you're like. They their options. the the net rating for Paul Reed is ugly right now. And Montrez has not been very good, but I tend to think we're going to see a lot more small ball in the playoffs anyway, which is another reason I'd be reluctant to trade PJ. Like as much as he has been bad shooting the ball, especially during James's absence. Yeah. He's somebody who can unlock a lot of things. If you play small ball in the playoffs and he's, he's big enough that he can hold guys up, but he can still space the floor. And do all that, and teams, at least for now, are treating him as a credible shooting threat. It almost doesn't matter if he's missing those shots, as long as he's being defended, because whether it's Tyrese or James or whoever it is, they'll have the middle of the floor to attack. And so that stuff's really important. Like I, I think, I don't know if they'll actually do this, but I think they should be playing almost no backup center minutes, depending mm. on the matchup in the playoffs.
2: Yeah. I mean, the other part of that is now, if Joel goes down, you're screwed no matter what. So it's not like having a backup, a better backup center helps you there. I just know that the backup center has been a huge issue for them. Um, Bruce Brown of the Nuggets. I think he's exactly what this team needs. Athletic can shoot kind of a three and D hustle guy. I don't know if the Nuggets would trade him. That's the tough part, but uh, any, yeah, that's the
3: problem. Like I, I think he's a really good, versatile player that a lot of teams would want like him and, um, Guy who hasn't played this year, but another guy sort of in the same mold as Gary Payton II, mm-hmm. Portland. Portland signed, I believe, with the mid-level, um, but hasn't played yet this year. Two similar guys that I would, I think, would fit well. Now, whether they shoot well enough is uh, another he's story. On, but... He's on
2: 39% this year on three threes, so he's right. shot it. But
3: I don't know how much I believe that. Like he historically yeah, has been. That's been the big concern with him is he does pretty much everything else at least decently well mm-hmm. but teams are going to leave him open now if he makes open shots then he's way over overperforming his contract so he's only making like six million dollars um
2: yeah. all right so the last two i'll say going in are are a bit of a bit of for the bit i guess i should say my boy, Noah Vonley, eligible to be traded oh, today. No. You need to upgrade a backup center. He can step in for Joel. Noel for Montrez. You pulling it? Just for me, I would hope you would do it. Just just, to, uh, I mean, just for my mentions on that day. I think that would be I
3: mean, day. for you, maybe, but in general, no. Uh, like no. I said, the backup center thing is not really a Yeah.
2: And I guess you don't want to put more pressure on Joel, too. So just move on from oh, that. But. <laughs> um, the last one, I think this would be the most unpopular trade in the history of the Sixers. I would... Almost want to see it just for the reaction. Are you ready for this one? I'm just preparing for it. Okay, ready. Austin Rivers for Paul Reed.
3: Oh, that would go down. <laughs> that, you, you're right. That would. Could you like, imagine? Would, honestly, I don't think Austin Rivers is very good anymore. I think it's time is a say. Uh, now he's also on a really bad vibes team right now. Yes. Not that he'd be joining like the Good Vibes Express in Philadelphia, right? Shout but out. I don't think I don't think we need the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the drama that comes with that because that would also and it's not fair to him but this would happen because his dad is already under so much fire here to yes. bring in a guy that ultimately signal it, that signals to the fan base like well they're not firing Doc yeah, and down to exactly he's gonna get unfair amounts of crap from other people because of that so yeah under almost no circumstances would i trade for him and i like look I'm higher on Paul Reed than it seems like Doc Rivers is.
2: Well, I and was, I, I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah,
3: and I but I do understand. You know, I certainly think if they were able to get a decent pick for him or like a decent role player who's actually going to get nightly minutes, I would still probably do it because if you're not going to use him, and honestly, he's like a flip of the coin night to night whether he's going to be good or not. It's not the craziest thing in the world to sell the upside to somebody else and say, Hey, you just give him a thousand minutes that he can play and develop, and we have to go out and win now. Like, we haven't talked about Isaiah Joe shooting, you know, high no. 40s from three this year, which I know everybody's going nuts about. I, I think it's worth noting he's still barely playing in Oklahoma City where they're not really trying to win games. Yeah. And his sample size on that is what, like 73s or something like that. So, I, I mean, credit to him. He's looked good in some limited runs, and he had a big moment uh, early in his tenure there. But uh, I tend to think you learn a lot more about guys when they're in situations where they're actually expected to produce and help win games than when it's like, yeah, this is a free-for-all. And yes. you just we're well, going to give you Michael- minutes just because we have nothing else to do.
2: It's Michael Carter-Williams thing. I mean, when he was here, you know, that rookie year, he was able to be awesome because nothing mattered and he could do whatever. Not that he ever ended up playing in meaningful games, really, but ultimately he proved to be someone that can just put up numbers on a bad team. But no, I mean, Doc trading for his son and trading out the player that Sixers Twitter seems to very much absolutely love love. yeah just the content alone people would explode but all right so I think we're all in agreement December 15th probably not going to bring any significant help to the Sixers um before we wrap this up they do have a game on Friday against the Warriors and then we'll probably talk before Monday but then obviously Monday um just anything you're looking for those two games no Steph on Friday and then the Raptors a playoff uh playoff rematch, just anything you're looking for in those two games? Yeah,
3: I'm I'm actually, like, genuinely kind of depressed that Steph is not going to play. Yeah, it sucks you won't be
2: able to see him play in person.
3: Like, yeah, let' a, set aside the competitiveness of the game. It's more about the in-person Steph Curry experience is up there with any mm-hmm. experience in the league. Might be number one, honestly, because even the warm-up that he puts on is just something yeah. that fans come in and watch just to see this guy go through a shooting routine. So and Matisse Thibel, who I've killed a lot of this year for you know his transgressions he's had some of his best games defending Steph like he had a national tv uh, breakout game last year against Steph that was awesome yeah. so that kind of you know the the significance of that game fades a little bit but the raptors are always interesting they're a uh, small ball team that they love to throw just lots of athletes and bodies at you throughout the game they rotate guys in and out siakam i think has taken another step forward Scotty Barnes, obviously, interesting player. So that'll be a fun one.
2: Yeah, and two winnable games now with Steph out. As much as yes. it sucks not be able to watch him, gotta so get little, them. You have to uh, again. Camp. Yeah,
3: as we talked about earlier, you have to get these because now it's it's the Stephless Warriors and a Raptors team that you are quite frankly better than. So go out yeah. and win those two. Move to five and zero. See where the rest Keep of the hosting
2: goes. Five and one in the clap your hands era. So we started off with a bad <laughs> loss. Let's say they potentially rebound. But all right, this has been another fun one. Um, if you're still listening, really appreciate it. And again, appreciate everyone that's listened so far. Leave a five-star review. I'll make sure Kyle gets asked the question. Hit that auto-download button on your podcast app if you're listening. And make sure you download the Odyssey app. You get all the episodes first on there. So should be an exciting week in the Sixers basketball. Hopefully, we'll try to find time to get one before then. But if not, talk to you guys soon. Kyle, it's been another fun one. See you guys.